Thank you, and good morning to you. I understand that you're studying logic and rhetoric while you're here, which is really great. Um, so I thought I'd speak, if you don't mind, on the Christian's life of the mind. Um, and let me put it this way. I'll just give you the points. You can remember them easily, I think. The Christian life of the mind is to love God entirely. It is contrary to worldly wisdom, and it's conducted in a different way than that of the world. And let me kind of spell some of that out from Scripture. You've heard these Scriptures before. You know, in the Old Testament, the central creed of the Jew, uh, the, uh, the, the one passage that they prayed daily was known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Well, when Jesus was in conversation with a lawyer one time, uh, he was asked the question, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus pulled out the Shema, which everybody knew. And he said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And do you know he actually added a word uh, to the Old Testament? Now, before you get upset and say somebody shouldn't be adding to the Word of God, Jesus is the Word of God, He is God, and He can clarify the Word of God if He wants. But He added the word mind, which in the Greek is dianoia. And most of us think of the mind as something abstract, you know, it's like math. It's out there and it doesn't necessarily always relate to real life. Well, this word is more like the word heart. And so to love the Lord your God includes the intellect. But it is a movement of the human heart. In my own interactions with uh, so many different uh, leaders in the academy, for instance, when I was at Oxford, I ran into one of the, the new atheists uh, who were really just radical atheists. And the Lord allowed me an opportunity. Actually, he prompted me. We were standing at a Hertz rental car. Uh, 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 counter together and the Lord said you need to talk to this man and all of a sudden I figured out who he was and uh, I, I started witnessing to him and I discovered that really he, his objections to the Christian faith were not rooted in logic uh, they were rooted more in his own personal feelings and I hope that in some way my winsome witness to him my kind witness to him may help him uh, to perhaps change in that regard. You see, Jesus wants us to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you and I were to love the Lord Jesus Christ with everything we are, then we would be looking like Jesus, and I think people would be attracted to come to know Jesus, including great intellects like uh, the new atheists, Sam Harris, and so on. There's another passage I'd like to bring to your mind when you think about what is the Christian's life of the mind. And that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 17 through 25. You can read those on your own. There's another passage I want to focus on a bit. But in that passage, we learn that the wisdom of God is contrary to the wisdom of the world. Now, mind you, make a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge, you can know something. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge, okay? So you can have a, a knowledge, uh, but it may do you no good. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge. 
Well, the world has all sorts of knowledge. Scripture is not saying that the world lacks knowledge. Actually, the world has great knowledge. But it has, the, uh, it has foolishness as well. It always does things that are wrong with that knowledge. And that includes knowledge of God and God's commands. So the world knows of God and His existence uh, through the human conscience, through nature. Uh, these are the teachings of Romans chapter 1 and in Psalm 19. So the world knows about God, but they don't know what to do with God. And what wisdom is, godly wisdom, is knowing that God is Christ, that Christ is God. That text also says that Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. So if you have Christ, then you have the wisdom that you need. Now the problem is, is that the wisdom of God, who is Christ, is contrary to the wisdom of the world, and the world looks at Christ and says, that's foolishness. Actually, Christ and God say that the world is foolish. The world doesn't know how to think correctly. They don't know how to think correctly, not about things like science and so on. That's, that's fine, you know, mechanics. But about the things of the spirit, about the things of the soul. The world has a different way of looking at things and then God does. And God's wisdom is so far above that of the world that the world can never reach it. And it only comes by grace. And it comes by pointing out to the world what is the wisdom of God. You know what the wisdom of God is? It is Jesus Christ and His cross. Soon after 1 Corinthians 1 in uh, chapter 2, Paul writes, uh, I have determined to know nothing among you except Christ. And him crucified. So if you want wisdom, if you want to have true intellect and true wisdom, then you must have Christ and you must have your mind focused on his cross, on his death for your sins, and on his resurrection for your life, if you will believe in him. So that is true wisdom. It is Christ and him crucified. But I'd like to focus a little more of our time, and then maybe we can have some opportunity for questions and answers, on a passage out of 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. And I want you to notice that the way Christians use their minds is going to be different from the way that the world uses their minds. So we do things in a different way. Uh, Paul writes, I myself appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That's your first clue, by the way. The Christian life of the mind is marked by meekness and gentleness. Humility. That is not a popular attitude in the world, and indeed among some Christians. But it is the way of Christ. Now, Paul writes, I who am humble among you in person, but bold towards you when absent, I beg you that when I am present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are living according to the flesh. He says certain Christian leaders think that we ought to live according to the flesh. Paul says, no, that's not the way we live. That's not even the way we think. That's not even the way we debate. That's not even the way that we speak to one another and try to convince one another. He says in verse 3, for although we live in the flesh, so we live in these bodies, right? So although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. 
We don't wage war for God with our flesh, with our sin nature, even with our bodies. Our bodies need to learn to uh, preach Christ and to speak of Christ in the power of the Spirit rather than in the power of the flesh. Although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare, the weapons of our warfare, now that tells you that we're in a fight. Now, I'm a boy, I get boys, we like fights. You know, we like battles and boxing and sports and, you know, that kind of stuff. Sorry, teacher. We, we like that kind of stuff, you know. Well, listen, you and I are involved in a warfare, but it's a different kind of warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They aren't physical fighting. They aren't even against other people. Paul in the book of Ephesians says we do not wage our war against human beings, but against the principalities and the powers of the air, against the things of the Spirit. Let me give you an idea. This is a book I bought recently, and it's uh, by Andrea Wolf, a uh, German writer, entitled Magnificent Rebels. And it's about the romantic, the German Romantic movement of the uh, 19th century. Now, that may seem boring to you, but in actuality, have you noticed uh, how in our culture, a lot of people are very selfish? And it's all about me. Well, that comes out of that German romanticism that taught people to, to take and to say, it's all about me. And they gave an intellectual uh, pedigree uh, to re really what is nothing more than human selfishness and, and, and hyper-individualism. And so I learn about things like that, not so that I can disagree with the romantics as human beings, but so that I can understand their ideas, so that I can help them to see that we are not about ourselves, we are about Christ. And we are about one another. Remember, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is the second commandment? It's like unto it, it is to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is to treat other people with great dignity and great respect and to give our lives to them. Well, this is the type of thing that we need to understand if we're going to be able to look at the philosophies of the world and, as he writes, to demolish them. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments, he says. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And then he concludes verse 5 in this way. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, your mind has been given to you by God. And it is actually a very powerful thing. And you need to learn how to use your mind. And I'm telling you, especially if you've got a mind that is constantly working, constantly busy that is constantly being confronted with ideas and thoughts and often emotions that you don't seem to be able to control and you don't know what to do with all of these thoughts, will take them captive to Christ. I have discovered that in this life, I must take and submit my mind to Jesus Christ. To the one who is God, who became a human being, who humbled himself, who died on a cross, who rose from the dead, 
who now sits at the right hand of the Father. And my purpose with everything I hear, everything I know, everything I feel, everything I think I want to do, is to take those thoughts to Christ and submit them to Him and ask Him, would you help me to have wisdom, Lord? I want to submit these things to you. And so taking every thought captive to obey Christ. So yes, we are involved in a warfare. And it even involves captives. But do you know what our captives are? Not other people. It's our own thoughts. And what are we going to do with every thought? We're going to take it and take it captive and take it and give it to Christ. 